All right, I'm going to have, uh, so you guys know that we are in this season of Advent right now, so we're week three today, and I'm going to actually have Jordan Mason come on up. Uh, this is actually our first time having Jordan teach. He's been a part of our church for a long time, so I'll tell you a little bit about Jordan. Jordan and his wife, Jenny. Jenny's in the back. Is that right? There, is that her? That's her. Uh, they both serve on staff with crew, and we're just so stoked to be able to have Jordan share today. They've been a part of our church for a long time, and uh, so I'm excited to hear what God has to speak for you. Go for it. Thanks, Brian. Good morning, everyone. Happy Sunday. Good good energy in the room. I love it. Uh, so like Brian said, I'm Jordan. I first started coming to Calvary. It was actually week one of classes at Cal Poly. And some people were like, here's where we're going to church. And I just kind of went. Actually, I think I was enlisted to drive. So maybe that's how I ended up here. And then just have been here ever since and have seen God move through different seasons. And it's a blessing to be up here just kind of as one of you. Not one of the paid staff, but just kind of speaking heart to heart of uh, in the season of Advent. So, yeah, very excited. We're looking kind of bit by bit through a very familiar verse. So we're going to read that together. It's our memory verse. Why don't we go ahead and stand real quick? Uh, John 3.16. And as we recite it, we stand just kind of to honor God. So next one has it. If you haven't quite memorized it yet, that's totally fine. So let's start together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. Okay, if you wouldn't mind joining me, it can be so hustle bustle this time of year, but I think as Americans in general, we can just get into the grind. You know what I'm saying? Um, So I want to just actually practice a period of pause and just to center our hearts, allow God to open our hearts, to receive from him, to hear from him, even if it's not something I say, but just for you to be still this morning and have your heart attuned to God. So would you join me? Close your eyes, maybe even open your palms, and we're going to just do a few deep breaths just to let everything go. Remember that we're right here with God. So breathe in deeply. Hold it. Breathe out. Amen. God's here. Thanks for doing that. Uh, If you're anything like me, I mean, that's just short. But pausing, waiting, super hard. Okay, I'm pretty bad at waiting for things. It could be the American culture that we find ourselves in. It could be the age of online shopping and Amazon. It could be tech. I don't know what it is, but I'm so bad at waiting. And before I had an iPhone, I was bad at waiting. I actually remember uh, getting my allowance. Anybody else get allowance out there when you were growing up? Okay, so it was meant to teach me how to manage money, okay? So I'd have to set aside 10% to giving, 10% to saving, and then the rest was mine. And boy, did I use that little bit or 80% that was mine. And every week, my mom would take me to Stater Brothers. Uh, she would go grocery shopping, and right next door was a sports card slash Pokemon card store. Uh, when those still existed. And every week, without fail, I'd get my allowance on Sunday. We'd go shopping on Tuesday. By Tuesday night, all of my allowance was gone, except what I was required to set aside. So I could not wait. Um, I feel like anything that I want, I'm like quick to try to order it as fast as possible. Even Amazon sometimes takes too long. I'm like, is it in, is it in slow? I'm going to go buy it today. Um, if a friend's running late, I'll have like very little grace. But when I'm running late, I'll have a lot of grace for myself. But you know that feeling when you're like, man, 10 minutes late, what's going on? Where are they? Or pizza. Like, you just want that first bite, 
and then it burns the roof of your mouth. Like, come on, you know? Does that happen to anybody else? I know it happens to me. Okay, so Advent is all about this period of waiting on God. And we, we look to something that I think we've talked about in the previous two weeks of Advent. It's this looking uh, to the season of Jesus' coming. And right now, we are kind of like looking back at the reality of Jesus' coming. But if you were an Israelite, there was 400 years of silence between uh, the last book of the Old Testament and God speaking to his people to when Jesus was born. 400 years. And I can't wait three days for a package to show up, you know? 400 years of expectant. Lord, where are you? Come, thou long-expected Jesus. Uh, And we're doing this Advent devotional with our kids Sometimes we're doing the best that we can, uh, but the first lesson was about the waiting period of Advent, and it was, maybe you've seen this test before, but you give a kid like a marshmallow or a candy or something, and you say, okay, you can eat this right now, right now, you can have it, but if you wait, you can get two. So it's supposed to show them how they're horrible at waiting. Uh, it, would, it would work for me. We already know that, right? We've covered that. Jordan eats pizza too quick. He buys, blows all his money as soon as he gets it. Uh, but Caleb, my older son, like two in five minutes, done. Just like we leave the room expecting him to eat it, and he was fine, like finds another toy. And then as soon as we came out, he's like, okay, I get two now. But Jack found Caleb's marshmallow, like on the counter, the marshmallow is gone. And, you know, so you can see who takes after my likeness, who takes after Jenny's likeness. Uh, so Caleb nailed it. Meanwhile, I probably would have eaten the marshmallow still. Like, I don't get it. Uh, but Advent is the season of waiting. And so what's unique for us is we remember what it would have been like to wait for Jesus to come, for this hope, for this new covenant, for this new reality of how we're going to relate to God. And also, we don't just look back, but we can actually look ahead and remind ourselves to wait. So how can we grow in ourselves here and now, even though Jesus has already come, we have the hope of the new covenant, How can we grow in ourselves this idea of remembering to wait, waiting for what God's doing in our lives, waiting for him to come back and usher in his kingdom completely and fully, where all sin will be gone, no more tears, no more pain. So we remember to wait with with patience, with perseverance, and with hopefulness. So that's what Advent is about, and we've been talking about that a lot. Um, You know, like I said, I'm the first to admit that I'm not great at waiting. So I think Advent is always really good for me to key in on this idea. So why is Advent such good news? Let's look at this verse that announces Jesus' birth. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill to men. Today we're looking at this idea of peace. What is the good news of Advent, and what does peace have to do with it? How do we think about peace today? Um, Someone actually, I I work for Crew, and someone gave a talk on this at Crew, talked about Jesus being a peacemaker, and he surveyed some students at Cal Poly, and it doesn't take long for us to just come up with some ideas of what does peace mean? Uh, Maybe the absence of conflict, Maybe just calm, like that little moment of peace we shared together at the beginning. Benevolence towards others, you know, like goodwill or kindness, being on good terms. Someone said that moment right before you fall asleep, which is then immediately interrupted by that falling feeling. Anybody else? So 
before that, the moment right before that, okay? Uh, no notifications on our phones, nothing to do. The to-do to list checked off. For me, uh, I drove to AG for a meeting, 20-minute drive. No kids. I was like, what is happening? I drove there, didn't really think about anything, was just like, you know, I'm just going to stay in this lane. There was no one yelling at me behind me, no kids screaming, no accidents to deal with. That was peace in that moment. Um, maybe it's, you know, not having roommates chatting in your ear or uh, it's looking at a sunset and just being still. So all jokes aside, it's so apparent when we look around that peace does not mark our times. It doesn't mark our society. But I, I would say that we can point the finger outward, but also peace maybe doesn't mark me either. Uh, I'm often not at peace. I'm often restless. I'm often hurried. I'm often... Uh, needing to get something done or needing to accomplish, being at peace is hard. So the Bible speaks about peace, and the word that it uses in the Old Testament is shalom. And shalom isn't just uh, the quiet that happens right when you get your kids to sleep or when you finish your to-do list. It speaks to something much bigger than just the absence of conflict or just silence or, or stillness. It speaks to wholeness, to completeness. So when we think about the season of Advent, shalom is this idea that God brought shalom when Jesus came to earth. Shalom came to earth in a new way, and he's bringing shalom, that one day all things will be made whole and complete. So it goes much further than just the absence of conflict. Uh, let's check out a Bible Project video. If you've been around at all, you know we love Bible Project videos. Uh, but it does a much better job in like three and a half minutes. It would take me 20 just with rambling, it'll get right there. So let's check out this video about shalom to get a better idea of how it the speaks to The word peace it. is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict, but it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. In fact, that's the basic meaning of shalom when you use it as a verb. To bring shalom literally means to make complete or restore. So Solomon brings shalom to the unfinished temple when he completes it. Or if your animal accidentally damages your neighbor's field, you shalom them by giving them a complete repayment for their loss. You take what's missing and you restore it to wholeness. The same goes for human relationships. In the book of Proverbs, to reconcile and heal a broken relationship is to bring shalom. And when rival kingdoms make shalom in the Bible, it doesn't just mean they stop fighting. It also means they start working together for each other's benefit. This state of shalom is what Israel's kings were supposed to cultivate, and it rarely happened. So the prophet Isaiah, he looked forward to a future king, a prince of shalom. 
and his reign would bring shalom with no end. A time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Irene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, My peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work. Because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives, our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept of peace. I also can't do hey, animation. Thanks for watching. So that's the other benefit about Project of Me, you know? Uh, so our longing for peace, like we see in that video, is multifaceted. It has relational implications between other humans, people in our lives, societal implications, like some of those ideas of peace go throughout all of society or the idea of peace with men in general. Uh, personal, like our hearts and souls being at peace, and then I think with God. So shalom speaks to all of these and then bringing, being brought to completion or to fullness, wholeness. So I think the issue when we think about peace is, is twofold. We need peace with God, so there's a, a divine issue of peace, but we can't achieve this. And then there's an interpersonal peace, like peace internally or peace with one another, and we, we can know what that feels like a little bit, and we can even produce it sometimes, right? We can reconcile with one another. We can get everything done on the to-do list and feel at peace but we don't do it perfectly, and it definitely isn't lasting. So peace can get disrupted and can get broken. So the divine one, basically no power to change that. I cannot make myself have peace with God because there's a divine, there's a divine issue, a supernatural issue that I can't achieve on my own. Even the interpersonal, the one that I, it's possible to achieve, I fail and I fall short all the time just on a micro level, much less a societal level, right? And that's why there's so much brokenness in society. Like, we will never crack the code to fix it and bring it to wholeness. No, uh, no exact, like, setup of political agenda or social programs or striving for justice. I'm not saying that those things aren't worth striving for, but we know they will ultimately fall short. There is no perfect system. So peace had to come from outside ourselves. And that's why it was so transformational when Irene set foot on earth. The crazy thing is just, you would think about waiting 400 years as just a side note. And then I was thinking about it just in prepping for this. Like, it wasn't like when the baby came, Jesus came, everything then started to come back into order. It was like 
still 30 years of him just living semi-normal life. I wonder what people who waited for that day were like, when is this going to get going? Or even the doubt that popped up. And that's another example of like you wait 400 years and then you still wait 30 years for Jesus to announce his public ministry and actually start to proclaim the kingdom of heaven is near. I just wonder what it was like for the people who waited, saw Jesus coming, like, it's here, it's here. And you have to wait still longer. So it's just a, a testimony to the season of Advent where we learn to wait peace. So we know that he's the prince of peace, like the video mentioned. He made peace. He himself is our peace. And he gives peace. Uh, not just an ambiguous peace or uh, a pithy statement, but he's actually giving his own peace. Let's look at each of these real quick. So he is able to bring peace. Wow, that turned out a lot small. Can you guys see it? To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. So he is the Prince of Peace. This is the cosmic solution, or this is the supernatural solution for this divine problem. He is the Prince of Peace. He brings peace, and by Jesus stepping on the scene, he alone can produce shalom collectively and individually. So the Bible speaking to him being the Prince of Peace, it's both a title and a description. He's the Prince of Peace in that he rules over peace and and peace sources from him. But it's also a description of um, him bringing that peace. So it says the greatness of his government and of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. This is the good news of Advent. The good news of Advent is that there's a new way to experience peace. And God is doing that in and of himself to, to bring peace with man and God and peace among mankind. This is God's solution. He gave his only son, like we read in John 3.16. He gave his only son. Isaiah 53.5 speaks to this, if we could do next slide. So he made peace, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. This idea that the punishment that brought us peace This was God's solution. Why is Advent such good news? Because whether we like it or not, there was a divine issue between us and God that we couldn't bridge that gap on our own. We couldn't make peace with God on our own. But God steps in to the story. This was his solution all along. It wasn't a plan B or a plan C. It wasn't like uh, he was figuring out how to solve the crisis. He knew That at some point for him to be fully just and yet fully loving, he would have to both enact justice but give out of great love in order to reconcile the two and bring peace between him and mankind. So Jesus makes peace. He did it all at great cost to himself. I think making peace is costly work. Like we see that demonstrated in Jesus. It isn't... uh, When we think about the Christmas story and the the idea of Advent, the silent night imagery, like it it makes for a great song. But Jesus stepped into a broken world, a world where soon after his birth, a, you know, government-wide mandate to kill all boys under the age of two goes out because it was a messed up world. 
And he did this at great cost to himself, eventually giving his own life. And I think when I think about peace, and even my comment about society is so warped and twisted and messed up and there is no peace, like oftentimes I can look outward and point, that's the issue, that's the cause, that's the, they need to step in, they need to change the way they think, they need to change their policy, they need to change their posture, that would bring peace. It's always outwardly focused. And what we see Jesus doing, uh, I could probably stand a little bit, like to remember a little bit more, Jesus' posture in bringing peace. That he took it upon great cost to himself to bring peace. It wasn't, you need to do this in order to achieve peace with me. I'll do this in order to achieve peace with you. So how do I take that to heart this Christmas season of being one who takes great cost in order to bring peace? In a family situation, do I expect them to take the first step or them to apologize? Or do I step in and say, you know what? I'm going to fight for peace in this situation, even if it's at great cost to myself. Jesus is peace. So Ephesians 2.14 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. For he himself is our peace. When we think about Jesus bringing shalom, it wasn't an idea or an attribute that he brought He actually is peace. And so shalom can only come through Jesus because he is the one defining peace. He's the one who marks peace. He is the one who establishes peace. It's who he is. Peace flows from God. So when we are seeking peace, we can find shadows, imitations, counterfeits apart from God. But true peace is found in Christ himself. C.S. Lewis writes about this idea that, like, you know, we can have these little glimpses of attributes of God in our society, but they all point to an ultimate source for that thing. Love. We can experience love in very natural ways, but they all point to an ultimate source of love, God. So when we think about any attribute of God, like peace, we can find glimpses of it, but ultimately God is the one who sources that peace. And so when we think about Advent bringing peace, it's not just an idea of peace or a good program to institute peace or even Jesus living in a way that helps us achieve peace. It's that he is the one actually bringing peace into our world and allowing there to be peace. Otherwise, it's just a program that will ultimately fall short. That's why Advent is so significant and the coming of Jesus is so significant because He is bringing peace in a way that we couldn't on our own. And then finally, Jesus gives peace. In John 14, he says this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. When we try to achieve peace on our own, like I said, it ultimately falls short. But Christ isn't just bringing peace or demonstrating peace and then try to live up to this. One of the most beautiful things about Advent and about faith in Christ and about the Christian tradition is that God actually, like in that video, imparts his peace to us. So where before my tactic to experience inner peace was just check off the to-do list, now Christ imparts peace in a way that even when my to-do list is not checked off, I can experience inner peace. Whereas before, my method was to have the situation be remedied with someone that I was having a conflict with. Or if I think about my family and the thing they said last Christmas and how I'm still holding on to that, 
waiting for them to make the first move, or I'm just going to ignore it and move past it. Now, there's a way where even if the circumstance doesn't change, I can still be at peace with someone else. Because Christ has given me peace, I can then extend great grace, and I start to look like Jesus. So the difference may be subtle. One is a program to try to be a better, better version of myself. The other is actually the living God who is defined by peace is actually putting that peace in me. He's producing that in me. So I'm not trying to produce it on my own. Suddenly, he's given me that peace. The peace that he has, that he demonstrates towards others, the peace that he brings, he gives to me. There's so much wrapped up into this. Jesus is giving us peace. We have reconciliation with God through this peace. We have hope for what's to come, kind of like this peace that God is working. We have wholeness, i.e. God gives us wholeness. We are made whole, sanctified through him, no longer through our endless striving. This Advent season, we can rejoice that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, that he made peace between God and then a way for us to experience peace with our fellow humankind, that he himself is our peace. We don't need to look outside of that. He is the source of peace. And then he freely gives us peace. So we can be like him. Advent is about remembering what Christ has produced and this new way of being human, and it's also looking ahead. So one thing is just trying to balance those, where one is to realize these four things, realize this peace that Christ is producing, and be grateful for that and live in that. And then one is to look at what Christ is still trying to do. He is bringing it to a fullness where there will be no more absence of peace. The full version of it is when we're in heaven, right, and all things are made new. Christ has brought peace completely and fully. Right now we taste it just in glimpses, right? So this Advent season, we can look with hope that if we're not in a season of peace, if we're wrestling to experience peace in all the different ways that I alluded to, we can have hope that that won't be the end of the story. That's why Advent is such good news. One is to look back and realize this is a new way of being human, how good it is to have peace with God, to have Jesus be our peace. But at the same time, when we're not experiencing that, we can look forward with hope and learn to wait that God is producing this peace in a full and final way. So I feel like, for me, Advent is something where I can just brush right through it, right? And peace can even be something that I just grasp intellectually. But what does it look like for me to actually experience the coming of Jesus in my life to produce peace? It could be that you're experiencing the gap in all of these areas. But I know for me, I feel like it's inner peace, and then it's looking outward at just this ambiguous person that feels like an enemy to me, society, someone who maybe disagrees politically or posts that thing that I don't like. For me, Advent is asking God to be Christ Emmanuel, God with me, to produce peace in my heart and then to produce peace outward through me. Let me pray for that to be true for us. Lord, your coming was earth-shattering. It was transformational. It was quite literally introducing a new way to be human, a new covenant with you. 
and I confess how often that can just be an intellectual thing. Or I can look at the nativity scene set up in my house and think of it purely as a story. But Lord, it is revolution. It is transformation. It is quite literally a way that would rewire how I operate. I pray that for us as a church, as we celebrate your coming, that we would remember what it was like to wait for this and to remember what it's produced, but we'd also remind ourselves to wait for you to continue producing it in us. And that in that, there would just be an open-handedness in my heart, in the heart of this church, um, for you to do that work. Lord, I pray over our holidays and just ask that you would be glorified, that our intimacy with you would go deeper, and that we would be a blessing to those around us. Do you know how to pray? Amen. Mm-hmm.